Most of the male runners figured if any woman wants to run 26 miles in a driving rain, let her run. But veteran Boston trainer Jock Semple thought the whole thing was silly. No, there's enough competition for women. What the heck? Why did they want to tackle the, the, the toughest thing in the world? It's just the women and their stubbornness just want to do something that they're not supposed to do. That's all there is to it. You know that. You're married. That was 50 years ago. In the time since, women have made remarkable progress towards equality in sport. Today, 40% of all athletes are women, and yet women still receive less than 4% of media coverage. The Iron Woman podcast wants to help change that. We interview female professional athletes and other remarkable women making breakthroughs in endurance, sport, and research. So that when I grow up, I will have heroes. I'm Alyssa Gadeski. I'm Haley Chura. And I'm Rosalie. And you're listening to the Iron Women Podcast. Triathlon is certainly hard on your skin, without a doubt. That was Teresa Helsel, dermatologist PA and accomplished triathlete. Earlier this year, Teresa came on the podcast to offer skincare advice specific to triathletes. Teresa's two biggest tips were to avoid sunburn and chafing. And luckily, Iron Women podcast listeners get 15% off all Zelio skincare products, including Sun Barrier SPF 45 zinc-based sunscreen and Betwixt Athletic Skin Lubricant and Chamois Cream. Use the code IRONWOMEN at teamzelios.com for 15% off and use Zelios products to protect your skin during all your swim, bike, run fun. And now, the ladies you've been waiting for, Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. Bye for now. Hi, Haley. Are you healthy over there in Montana? Do you have enough toilet paper? What's going on? Life is very different. I do have enough toilet paper thanks to my mom's Costco membership that we bought. She bought me some like last summer. So I think I'm set for like three years, which is good at this point. And Bozeman is a pretty easy place to many people around. And we just got a bunch of snow, so it's cold and there's not a lot of urge to go outside. But this is wild. This is wild. How is how's life in Charlottesville? Yeah, it's crazy. Like the students at UVA. So Charlottesville is a very big like university town. So when the university is in session, it's a totally different place than otherwise. And the students had gone home on spring break and then were just basically told like, do not come back essentially. So it already, you know, like we're used, I'm used to it feeling like a different place in the summer. So it's definitely a bit eerie, like all the time, whenever the university is just not in session, because everything scales back naturally. But, you know, I think people here really were trying to do business as usual and kind of pretend that it wouldn't infiltrate our bubble up until I would say like yesterday, things started to probably get more real here. and People started to really realize like, this is actually happening and it's happening quickly and there's like more scrambling I guess going on but uh yeah I would say like in general my way of life is generally pretty self-isolating um (laughs) you know being a triathlete and doing a lot of training on my own and doing you know yeah just kind of 
sticking to that, but no masters and stuff like that right now. And so things are definitely changing and there's just so much information getting thrown at us. Like constantly, I feel like my brain is a bit of mush, like trying to just process. I guess I, I feel like things are always getting thrown at us very quickly with how we operate these days, like with smartphones and social media and stuff. And then this has shown me that like, it can actually be worse than that. Like with how much (laughs) you can get thrown at you in, in the time period that you're awake. So it's been interesting for sure. I know maybe we should tell our listeners we're recording this on Monday. It will come out on Thursday. Life might be totally different and everything we're talking about might be obsolete, but you are coming off of Ironman New Zealand. It was just a little over a week ago. And I know you had a big Ironman double plan for a little couple months from now doing Ironman Texas and possibly Ironman St. George one week apart. Texas was canceled, I believe. I don't know if it's postponed or canceled, but it's not happening at the end of April. How are you feeling about that? Yeah, um, I guess, I don't know. I mean, to me, racing will happen again eventually, you know? And, like, we haven't gotten word yet about St. George, but most likely that's not going to happen either. And I guess to me, it's just, like, I have a list of, like, a thousand things that I want to (laughs) do, right, in my life and that are, like, athletic achievements. And so... In my mind, I'm like, okay, well, like, we'll just keep doing what we can do. You know, I'm like, I can be a cynical person at times for sure. But I also think that I'm like fairly optimistic and positive about a lot of things. And so those two races aren't here and it stinks. Like I briefly tried to look at what, you know, I can get reimbursed and any, if anything from Texas last night, and I won't really get much of anything. So you know, those kinds of things are a little hard to handle and swallow. But it is like at the end of the day, there's a lot of other things that I want to get to. And, you know, I feel like I have everything I need, like within the confines of where I live. So I'm just trying to stay positive. And I realize that like, I just need to sit tight while the rest of the world kind of settles. And hopefully, you know, people can stay as healthy as humanly possible during this. um, And I don't need to contribute to anything worse. So race wise, like, I don't know, it is what it is. The race races will happen again eventually. And in the meantime, I just need to keep my sanity and do what I can, you know, to stay active, release some endorphins every day and make sure, you know, Ramona and our guest dog for the, for a little bit here, Floyd are staying active and healthy. I think they're just living their best life with me right now. So yeah, I don't know. I'm not someone who is like super attached to particular races like it's a bummer but I can just kind of readjust and I guarantee there will be two Ironmans in my future a week apart that I will (laughs) that I will do at that point but what about you like it's it's hard to believe that just two weeks ago we were in Atlanta like life was completely normal and you had a great race I'm sure you had recovery planned but like what what have you been kind of like thinking through like are you even really thinking through life athletically at this point or what's going on? I am lucky that I kind of had a planned break. I actually did plan to take some downtime after the Olympic trials marathon. I just felt like I needed it mentally, physically. So this was a planned break for me. And I, uh, I had planned to start ramping back up the triathlon training starting kind of this week, but taken a step back and just kept things a little bit mellower. Like you said, exercising, exercising versus training. I think that a, some level of fitness is important and it is good for your mental health. And like you said, I'm pretty lucky that 
I can ride the trainer. I don't mind that. I have a good setup here. I um, have a treadmill. I right now in Bozeman, you I mean, there isn't any restriction on going outside and it's really cold. So I haven't run outside, <laughs> but I could if I wanted to get on trails and be pretty self isolated or at least social distanced on the trails. And and so that's where I am. I'm not going to the pool right now. Our pool is open and uh, my coach, Matthew Rose, his recommendation was to avoid the pool. I've, I've followed his advice for everything so far in my athletic career and I, it's done me well. So it is kind of acting with an abundance of caution and, and more thinking about the collective good, but I, I, I'm uncomfortable with that. Yes. I'm going to have to build back my swim eventually, but that's going to happen eventually. We'll just see how it goes. And I kind of have given my athletes with pool access options, options, like use your judgment based on where you are, based on your own circumstances. If the pool is open, if it's, you know, maybe you're limiting your locker room time, but if you would prefer to ride the trainer at home alone, do that. And it's a wild time. I think we're all just kind of waiting to see what happens. Yeah. And Haley, you had a chance to hop on and do a like mini interview that everyone should check out if they haven't, you know, again, we're releasing this on Thursday that was recorded on, on Sunday. So we got that out to people, um, with like the latest information, but if people kind of are still questioning things and are just kind of, you know, your community is catching up to things and you have some questions, definitely check out that mini interview with Haley. Remind me who we had on names. Uh, we, we talked to nurse Lisa Brinker and ER physician, Dr. Leah Roberts, who are both, they're both women who work in healthcare and are triathletes. And I, these were the questions that I had. I was sitting Sunday night and I was like, you know what? Like, should I be going to the pool? Should I be telling people to go to the pool? Should I be going to the gym? Like I wanted some professional opinions. So I was really lucky that both those women agreed to come on and give me their professional opinions and that, and let me record it. And, um, we did put out, so only like 12 or 13 minutes long, the whole episode, but I'm really thankful that they did agree to come on and do that. And we did, I, at least one, you know, one or both of them was when I talked to them on Sunday, they actually said, you know, this information might not be update up to date by Thursday. So uh, luckily everyone here at live feisty kind of buckled down and we got that out as quick as we can. And, and we'll just, you know, we'll update what we, like we can, but they did mention cdc.gov is a great resource. So I'm checking that getting whatever up-to-date information I can from a reliable source and hopefully everyone else as well. And everyone at live feisty is doing our best to at least give you some content to be passing time. If you are finding yourself with a little more time in your days than normal. And because of that, so we are bringing back the, if we were riding podcast. So if you remember, if we were riding was a podcast with Sarah gross and Kelly O'Mara and Kelly, uh, left the podcast when she took this really exciting opportunity as the editor in chief of triathlete magazine. And we're all thrilled for Kelly and have been, um, so excited, but of course that meant an open seat at the, if we were riding podcast and that seat has been filled Haley. Did you, have you heard yet the news? I have. I'm super excited about that. Sarah Gross's new co-host is two-time Olympian, 70.3 champion, fourth place Kona and 70.3 world's and Olympics finisher, former Iron Women podcast guest, Sarah True. So we definitely encourage everyone to search for the If We Were Riding in your podcast app of choice. If you haven't already subscribed, hit subscribe. Don't miss it. It's going to be out tomorrow, Friday, every Friday thereafter. Sarah Gross and Sarah True, the Sarahs 
um, bring you excellent banter every single week. And like Alyssa said, if you are, if you're spending a little extra time on the train or, or you just need, um, you know, something in the background while you're making sure you wash your hands for a full 20 seconds, if we were riding or iron women are both great options. And Haley, our mailbag is still open in this time. So people, if you have questions, you can always send them to ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And we have a mailbag question to tackle this week. This comes in from Anne. And so Anne wants to know, she has not done a triathlon, but she's wanted to since she was 10, which was almost 23 years ago, which is, so that's exciting. So she's finally ready to make some moves, I think. Um, She was a competitive swimmer. Her whole childhood, and now she's an avid runner as an adult. So, this also sounds like the makings for a triathlete. So, she feels confident about that, but she knows nothing about the bike. She lives in an area that doesn't have a lot of access to a triathlon community. So, she doesn't even know where to start. She has done some brainstorming and realizes that step one is to purchase a bike, which we'll get to that actually. And then she's curious about what would be the next best steps to get prepared for the bike leg of the triathlon. She's stuck, she doesn't know where to begin. And, and right off the bat, I would just say step one, maybe just reach out into people you do know, or like any other athletes to see if you could borrow a bike or if anyone has like an old road bike sitting around you could use or something like that before you even purchase a bike. Like a bike is a huge purchase for a triathlete and it's a big investment and there's so many options and I've seen it so many times people just get bogged down in that and get overwhelmed by the sport before they even get to try it. So I would even say, you know, that's kind of where I would begin. I don't, you don't have a big tri community, but maybe you have some runner friends literally who have like, I did my first triathlon with like old borrowed bikes. So, um, you can definitely do it that way. And I think it's a great intro to the sport and it like takes some pressure off because you don't even have to have like, you know, the best bike and, and you know that you're kind of maybe working with some lesser equipment, but you get to like experience what even triathlon is. So that's, That's kind of one of my recommendations here. Then Haley, what do you have? Well, I I would add that none of us really have access to an in-person triathlon community right now. So I I think it's a good time to kind of try to try start riding a bike, you know, to do some light exercise like riding, especially if you can, like Alyssa said, buy or borrow a a bike. And also if you can buy or borrow a trainer with that first bike, just to get started and you just spend time in the saddle. I, I think... This podcast has been partnered with Wahoo in the past, which is known for their smart trainers like the Wahoo Kicker, but even a magnetic trainer that you might be able to find cheap online or on Craigslist or from a friend who isn't using those those theirs anymore would be good enough to get you started. And if you're worried about getting bored or not knowing what kind of riding you should be doing, I mean, you could consider hiring a coach or a virtual training community online that you might be able to find. Everything is, is pretty accessible remotely right now. And that's going to help you feel less isolated, maybe add structure to your sessions. And hopefully in a few weeks or months, the weather has improved as well as your general bike fitness and the worldwide situation. And you can move outdoors and practice your bike handling skills on the road and things like clipping in and out of your pedals. So And I would say that I was in a similar situation to you when I first started triathlon. And uh, actually, one of my friends just sent me some really funny pictures of myself from one of my very first triathlons. And and let's just say I made a few mistakes back then, but we all have to start somewhere. And it's amazing how fast you can go from being the person who's making the mistakes to the person giving advice. And so I think if you just give it a try, learn from your mistakes and stick stick with it for, you know, weeks, months, years, you'll be shocked at how far you can come. 
Yeah. And a good place to learn, like if you are uh, ready to get outside and the environment that, you know, in the community with like the health situation that we all have at hand, right, is that you are able to get outside and you're allowed to. I would say there are things, there's like Strava, there's Map My Ride, there's like online programs that you can get a membership and log into and they all have like free levels to it. And I do this a lot still is like I explore what rides people are doing and posting and like where they are riding because generally speaking, you know, if people are posting their rides, then maybe they have a bit more experience and they, you can kind of like start to see the pattern of where people, the cyclists are going. Right. And those generally speaking, again, tend to be like the safest routes out of town to go, or like maybe you even don't feel comfortable riding right out of your town, but at least you can find, okay, I could go maybe park at this. Like I use churches a lot to park at and stuff like that. Um, if I want to ride, you know, be out of town to start my ride and things like that. And you can really gain a sense of like what roads seem to be the go-to roads and places for cyclists to go. Um, because I do, I think that's like a, a barrier. A lot of times is like people don't even know where to go. And there's in a lot of places, you know, you have bike lanes in urban areas, but then once you like get out of the urban area, the bike lane disappears and you're like, well, now where do I go? You know? And so if you can see on maps and what people are uploading that a lot of people are, um, you know, riding those roads, generally, I think you should be pretty safe to go there as well. So hopefully that helps get Anne started on the bike a little bit. I love that Strava explore, um, suggestion. I feel like that is useful for everyone at all levels, especially if you're in a place where you don't know the areas, that's a good one, but thank you, Anne, for the question and ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. If anyone else has a question, they'd like us to try to answer. And we wanted to bring you guys an interview that was very current for this week. And I met Frederica De Nicola at Ironman New Zealand. So Haley, we actually got to chat with her for this week, right? That's right. Federica De Nicola is a professional triathlete and medical student from Milan, Italy. So Federica left her home in Milan in early February to start what she had planned as a three-month racing tour of New Zealand and Asia. Obviously, the world has changed drastically in the past weeks, and race cancellations and travel restrictions have left her stuck in New Zealand and only able to talk to her Italian friends and family remotely. Federica told us about what she's heard from people in Italy, where the latest counts report that more than 20,000 people have tested positive for the COVID-19 coronavirus. Federica tells us what she's doing while she's in New Zealand, and she also recaps her recent races and tells us a bit of her racing history, which has included working through some health-related downtime. We'll have our conversation with Federica right after the break. Okay, Alyssa. Imagine you're stranded on a deserted island and you have to pick one thing to drink for the rest of your life. What would you choose? Haley, I think I'd have to go with Noon Sport watermelon flavor. Nice choice. Personally, I'd opt for the Noon Endurance lemon lime flavor because in my deserted island fantasy, I'm still getting in regular 90 minute workouts. That sounds totally reasonable. The good news is that all Noon Hydration products are made with clean, quality ingredients that are good for your body and the planet. So if you ever find yourself on a deserted island, or maybe just in the middle of a really long training day, you'll be thankful that Iron Women podcast listeners get 30% off all Noon Hydration purchases by using the code IRONWOMEN at NoonLife.com. 
Hi, Federica. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. So exciting. We know you're fresh off a couple races, including Ironman New Zealand just over a week ago, and we are definitely going to ask you about those races. But first, can you tell us a little bit about where you are right now and why? Yeah, well, I'm stuck in New Zealand at the moment. Uh, it wasn't part of my plan in the beginning because when I left Italy more than one month ago, I was planning on racing uh, Challenge Wanaka and Ironman New Zealand and then have a little tour in Asia and then maybe race in Australia and go back home. But, well, with the coronavirus situation, uh, everything uh, got crazy and uh, my, plan change, my plans changed. And uh, before the race, actually, there was the first outbreak in Italy. And uh, I was called by Ironman because they were checking on me and I had to send them proof that I was in New Zealand before the first outbreak in Italy. And uh, uh, because otherwise they were going to put me into isolation and not let me race. So I was panicking over my emails, trying to find proof that I was there, I was safe, I could race, etc. Then uh, the day after the race, uh, Italy closed the frontiers uh, and uh, locked down. So I couldn't even go home. And uh, I changed my plans again, uh, and I decided to remain in New Zealand. Then the past few days, the whole world is uh, actually getting uh, locked down because of this coronavirus. But New Zealand uh, looks like the safest place at the moment because uh, the frontiers are closed, but there are just uh, eight cases, uh, and uh, these eight cases spread out in one month. So, I mean, uh, it looks safe. So I'm here till uh, I don't know how long. I have already applied for a visa because I don't know when I'll be able to get home. But in the meantime, I just tra train and uh, try to make the most out of what I can do. Of course, uh, given the experience in Europe, uh, I try to avoid social gatherings, etc. And uh, I don't really have a lot of connections in here. But I think uh, it's the safest place at the moment. And uh, I have to make the most out of what I can do. It's not super easy because uh, not being at home uh, in a moment like this is a little bit tough. And I'm exactly on the other side of the world. So I have 12 hours jet lag difference. So it's really completely the opposite. But at least uh, I'm free to do my training. Uh, I... I have freedom to do uh, what I need to do for my races that I don't know where, when they're going to happen. Yeah, I think uh, that's the best option for me at the moment to get over this situation. Yeah. We we raced together. I got to know you a little bit at Ironman New Zealand. And so I don't think I realized there. I thought when you had said that you were proving that you have been in New Zealand, I thought it was like, I don't even know. I guess I didn't realize that it was Iron Man asking you that for like that. I don't, I'm surprised that they would have had kind of like authority or been working with someone with authority to put you in isolation at that point. No, no. Yeah. I got an email from uh, Paula Newby Fraser and uh, the object of the email was coronavirus in Italy. It was like, and they're telling me my, my parents are dead. I don't know. It was a little bit boring. And then uh, there were uh, four or five people uh, uh, included in that email. And part of them were part of the Ironman organizations and uh, others were part of the New Zealand government, or I don't know. And uh, they were asking me for uh, all my documents proving that I was there. So, yeah, they, they were actually tricked on this policy. And uh, that's a good thing. 
to be yeah, honest. No, yeah, no, it's definitely good. And it's it's good that for, you know, your purposes that you had been in New Zealand since February, yeah. like six-ish, right? A little bit more than a month ago. So when you were at home in Italy before you left, were people really talking about coronavirus then? Or was it, I mean, on your radar really at all at that point yet? Uh, yeah, not really. I mean, when I left, I had my mask during the travel, during, on the airplane, etc. But I had most of the people telling me that I was just being excessive, it wasn't necessary, and that it was just a China problem. Yeah, of course, you could have a few cases somewhere in Asia, but it was just because I was transiting to Bangkok, and that was the main concern. But otherwise, nobody was really scared or uh, uh, worried about the coronavirus situation. It was just like uh, talking about malaria in uh, in Africa. It's something that you know it, there is, uh, but uh, it doesn't affect your reality. Have you felt like there was any stigma against Italians? I mean, now now it's worldwide, but it, besides Iron Man <laughs> pulling you aside, has anyone else like said anything to you? Yeah, actually, it happened to me. It was really funny because yeah, I was uh, in a shop in Taupo after the race, and I I was buying a souvenir or something like that. And then a Chinese entered the shop, and while I was paying, and the, and the woman uh, that was at the cashier told me, uh, "Oh yeah, I really hope they go home because uh, these uh, Chinese and Italian people that visit here just damage for the whole country." It was like, good thing I don't have to give her my ID in this moment. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny. But otherwise, everybody here is pretty friendly and uh, was coming, and uh, they are more like, oh, poor thing, without a home, let's help her. The other day at the pool, I met a woman uh, who had uh, a husband uh, who used to be a rugby player, and he played uh, rugby in Italy. And after five minutes talking, she invited to me at her house for a barbecue. And uh, yeah, everybody is pretty easygoing and welcoming and thinking I'm this poor little thing abandoned in the world. Uh, and they try to be helpful. That We love hearing that. And you are from yeah. Milan, which is in the Lombardy region of northern Italy, which is... As of this past weekend, had recorded more than, I believe, 1,200 deaths attributed to the coronavirus, which is more than the rest of Europe combined. Have you been able to talk to your family and friends about what life is like in Milan right now? Uh, yeah, it is pretty crazy. I mean, uh, my family, fortunately, is safe because they can work from home. So they just spend their days at home. But uh, Milan is really a busy city. And uh, now it's like uh, a desert. Nobody's around. Uh, just outside of the supermarkets, you can wait for one hour before entering a supermarket because just the number of people are allowed in altogether. And so everybody has to wait outside with gloves and masks, uh, standing more than one meter apart, uh, and, uh, yeah, people are uh, a little bit stressed because of this. But then uh, they also try to react. Uh, now there is this uh, new flash, uh, trend of flash mobs. Uh, so everybody is singing from their balcony. But the thing is, there are too many flash mobs. So, like, every hour you have somebody out on the balcony either uh, just playing music or uh, singing the national item or singing uh, I don't know what, but... I mean, Italian are uh, a chaotic people, so that's what you expect, I suppose. And we've read articles calling Milan's healthcare system world-class, and yet some of those same articles are describing the system as overloaded, 
and kind of have like this grim glimpse of what is awaiting other countries if they can't slow the spread of the virus when it when it gets to their country. So you're also a med student, a medical student. So do you have any insight into what's happening with the Italian healthcare system? Uh, yeah, actually, the my university, that is the San Raffaele, it's uh, the biggest research center in uh, in Italy. And right now, they are building uh, another temporary hospital uh, inside the university structure because yeah, there is a huge overload. But uh, what they try to do is also keeping the doctors safe. So what is thought is that the peak will be reached on March 18th. So the, at the moment, uh, they are trying uh, to keep most doctors home so that we, uh, there will be a lot of uh, healthy doctors able to face that peak. And the thing is, uh, of course, not everybody is uh, an infectiologist or a virologist. So, for example, I have uh, the dad of one of my friends has coronavirus and uh, he's dealing with the pediatrist because there are no doctors available. And so everybody has to face the, the fact that uh, there aren't enough specialists. Or uh, on the other hand, uh, there are, I have, uh, of course, uh, a lot of friends that, are, uh, that just got their degrees, etc. And they're not allowed to cure people, but maybe they're just doing bureaucracy. So filling everything that you need to, to fill uh, for the patient, uh, anamnesis, uh, and all that sort of stuff. The thing is, uh, having the most healthy people available uh, is the priority. And then uh, the other problem is that there are not enough ventilators uh, or uh, facilities uh, to uh, help people out. And so they are, uh, there is China, actually, that is helping Italy in a pretty interesting way. Yeah, they, they are trying to do their best at the moment. Uh, I think uh, they're not doing that bad, to be honest. I was worried uh, being as very disorganized, etc. We would just mess things up, but they, they are doing pretty well. I think they could set an example for the other countries, but the thing is that uh, other countries have to follow because most of the other countries uh, think, uh, yeah, but this is just not going to happen to us, and then it happens. So they have an example, they can learn from us, uh, and uh, they can do better, of course, because uh, they they can they know where we made mistakes, and the rest of the world uh, is uh, 10 days late compared to Italy, so they have time to make things better. You mentioned your initial plans when you went to New Zealand to race the half distance at Challenge Wanaka, followed by Ironman New Zealand, and then continue on to Asia. I'm curious about postponing those plans, changing those plans. Did you have a hard time finding a place to stay when you had to extend your stay in New Zealand? Yes and no. It will, I mean, uh, there are lots of places to stay, but the thing is uh, where to stay. Because in the beginning, when I was uh, in New Zealand, uh, I was staying in Hamilton uh, because uh, there was Lisa Roberts uh, that uh, trains with me in St. Moritz uh, that was there, and uh, she knew the place. She suggested me where to go, what to do, etc. So I had one person uh, I knew was there and could help me out. Then after the Ironman, she left, uh, and it's not like I have these many Kiwi friends. Uh, it's not behind the corner for me. So I didn't really know where to go, but fortunately, when I was in Hamilton before the race, uh, I met some people at the pool, uh, some coaches, some triathletes. So I decided to just go back there to have some connections uh, or uh, some points I knew. And yeah, at least to have a reference and uh, places to go. 
there's plenty of places to go for donatelli because uh, uh, the most common thing uh, for uh, families here is just to subrent uh, part of their houses and so it's not even that expensive uh, and uh, they take care of you etc so that's what i'm doing basically and we know you're just kind of, you know, uh, you've only been visiting in New Zealand for a month or so. Um, but as things have evolved and the last we've heard, like you said, so they're requiring anyone now arriving from overseas to self-isolate for 14 days. And they've warned of an impending financial recession and things like that. So does life there, you know, from your point of view, feel different than when you arrived a month ago? Or are you, do you feel like it's pretty much the same for, from what you can see at least? Well, toilet paper is still available at the supermarket, so I suppose nobody is really worried. It does a lot. Yeah, no, that does say a lot, I think. <laughs> but uh, jokes apart, uh, when you talk to the other people, uh, they just don't seem to realize how the situation is in the rest of the world. Because uh, today I, I went for a swim at the pool and there were some triathletes and they were extremely worried about races being cancelled, and they were like, oh my God, I need to find the motivation, but it's so weird that they closed schools in the, because uh, they had the races in the US, like Tulsa or something like that. And uh, they were like, oh my God, they closed schools now. And uh, I don't know, I was training for that, but is that crazy? And I was like, yeah, it is that crazy. And they, they don't seem to realize how the situation can really affect the daily life of people. Because, of course, being here, being isolated, from frontiers closed, uh, everybody can do what they want. The, the only thing that actually happened is that they uh, prohibited mass gatherings uh, over 500 people. But uh, in here, I don't think they ever have 500 people altogether because there are not enough people. So <laughs> it's not a big deal. I mean, th they don't seem to realize. You typically train with a Triceto squad and you're usually training with a group of people. Are you having to train by yourself right now? I know you mentioned a couple people at the pool, but is that weird for you to be alone? I, I don't mind training alone. I mean, uh, I I don't suffer from loneliness usually. I'm used to travel to places uh, and uh, be based by myself and then uh, have people over there. It's the first time in my life I don't really have uh, people that I knew before going to the place and I have to make friends uh, all of a sudden. But uh, I'm used to uh, doing my own things uh, and uh, being by myself. So... It's just a little bit more than what I'm used to, and uh, knowing that uh, all the rest of the world uh, can do what I do, what I'm doing. So, yeah, it's weird, but uh, coping with loneliness is not my main concern at the moment. And we do want to ask yeah. you specifically about the races in New Zealand that you've had. So, you finished seventh at both Challenge Wanaka and Ironman New Zealand. Does one performance kind of stand out to you more than the other? Uh, well, I loved both races. I didn't have my best day in uh, either one. The first one was more because I was jet lag because I arrived five days before and I had 30 plus hour travel on my shoulders uh, and that 12 hours jet lag. So I just died at a certain point during the run. Not a big deal. <laughs> and uh, I remember New Zealand. Uh, I was a little disappointed, disappointed because usually my strength is the bike and I had a a very subpar bike compared to the usual. So that was dis disappointing. 
But uh, otherwise, I was happy because uh, I really had some mental struggles uh, throughout the whole race. Uh, when uh, when uh, my legs were empty during the bike, uh, I had my body just telling me, okay, that's it, let's call it a day. But uh, I managed to overcome all these battles, uh, never gave up, uh, never thought for a moment, uh, okay, let's drop out, uh, It's this is not going to happen. So overall, I'm satisfied. Also because last year I was struggling with injury during the second half of, of the year and I had to DNF from my last two races. So I really needed uh, to finish that marathon because uh, I'm healthy and uh, last year I couldn't run because I had a back injury. Now I had no reason but my own mind uh, stopping me from running. So that was important for me. A quick glimpse at your past race results suggest you favor hot and humid races. So what did you think about the weather and the water conditions in New Zealand? Oh, I was wearing my windstopper and down warmers. It was so cold. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't really cold because it was uh, 16 or 17 degrees, but for me it was really cold. And uh, yeah, I definitely prefer, prefer uh, racing in the heat. And uh, I think because uh, I can manage hydration pretty well uh, and my sweat rate is pretty low in general. So I don't really suffer. Of course, it's not that I like running in 42 degrees, but I can cope better than most people in those conditions. So my best races, both as an age grouper and uh, as a professional triathlete, were uh, in, uh, in the heat. So like, in Kona, when I was a age grouper, I did pretty well, or I did well in Malaysia as a professional. Yeah. So we get questions actually all the time to the mailbag on our podcast about like, how do I race well in hot conditions? Right. So for you, has it been a mat? Like, did you do sweat testing and figure out the exact hydration and that was really helpful? Or do you feel like it's always something you've naturally been better at or like just any tips for our listeners who might kind of have a struggle with that? Uh, I've never had um, a sweat rate, to be honest, uh, but uh, the two most important things to me in uh, hot conditions are uh, salt, because uh, one has to remember that water isn't, isn't enough to hydrate. So you can drink plenty of water throughout the whole race, but if you don't have enough salt, uh, water just won't stay into your body, it will just uh, wash out all the uh, that you have uh, and uh, sodium especially and that could be dangerous for your health so i try to take i only take salt tablets and uh, not iso because uh, of course you will have to get new bottles at every aid station hot conditions and uh, you never know the exact amount of salt so they put into the the bottles so it's better just drinking water and having salt tablets. Uh, I usually have one uh, every 40 minutes, uh, but that depends on the individual, uh, and uh, it works pretty well for me. And uh, I know I get my things in. And uh, the second thing uh, is keeping my my head uh, the, the coldest I can. So I always wear a cap or something, uh, and uh, I put ice uh, inside uh, all the time. And uh, that helps me out also being uh, a little bit more uh, lucid and aware during my race because I can think properly. The moment, uh, what I do to test my uh, awareness during the race uh, is uh, make calculus. So if I'm running a marathon and I see 35K and I can't really know that it's 7K missing, uh, I know something is wrong with me. <laughs> and uh, so... 
how well I can cope with calculus. Uh, it's uh, how well my head is working uh, and uh, how many souls I need in, in that moment. And uh, being aware of your surroundings uh, is the most important thing, I think, when uh, when it's hot, etc. Because otherwise, you can just miss stations or miss your nutrition or uh, just miss something uh, and then you're done. I like the the brain teasers kind of the puzzles making your checking your um your brain capabilities kind of along those same lines what would you say for an athlete who says i i do really well in hot conditions but i want to do this race in cold conditions you mentioned the windbreaker is there any other tips that you have for someone who who wants to do a race in cold conditions but is a little bit afraid well, the good thing about the cold conditions uh, is that you can wear as many things as you want. When uh, when it's hot, uh, you can't just uh, take your skin off yourself because it's too hot. When it's too cold, you can put so many clothes on and it's all right. The worst uh, race that I've ever had was in Zenamzi two years ago when it snowed during the night uh, and it became an aquathlon and it was snowing during the run. And I think my transition was the slowest ever because I I wasn't even sure I wanted to take my wetsuit off for the run. But in the end, I just put so many clothes on that I was warming up and it was all right. So if you know you're cold, just uh, it's better putting something more on that you can take off later than uh, just risking it and saying everybody is just racing uh, with nothing on, so I will be fine. No. If you know you're cold, just put something some, something on and then you can just throw it away. It's just better. In, in Italy, we say you can wear like an onion, you can dress like an onion because you have layers. And so you just take them off all the time. And you talked about this a little bit, that at the end of last season, you had a bike crash and a back injury leading up to Ironman Malaysia. So a lot of athletes and people really deal with back injuries during their lifetimes and racing careers. So what did you do to come back from that injury in October to get ready by February? That's a, that's a pretty good turnaround that you were able to get yourself healthy again. Yeah. Well, the thing is my, I had a, a little injury appearing in the beginning of June, but uh, I was ignoring it uh, as most people do like, yeah, but it's just annoying, but not stopping me. And so I was just keep, been training and training and training uh, and then it got worse until uh, I had this my my bike broke and I had this accident uh, and it got so bad I couldn't walk so I had to stop and actually stopping was the best thing I could do because uh, with two two weeks uh, without doing nothing it really got better and I could start again uh, and uh, also I was mentally flat pressure and think uh, this is just starting over so I took it easy because I knew I didn't have a lot of time um, uh, training during the past weeks uh, and uh, it made things easier having the courage to stop is something that I was missing I, I had to have something that was really preventing me from training to stop so what I learned is that uh, stopping sometimes uh, is better than just uh, going on and uh, being uh, thinking oh no I'm just uh, tough as uh, nails so I would just go on whatever no stopping can make you tougher it's a tougher decision sometimes but uh, it's the right choice would you say that kind of advice could apply to an athlete that might have to slow down their own training right now in midst of the coronavirus uncertainty 
I, I know it can be so frustrating to back off at any time of the year, but especially as your season is just getting started, would you, would you use that same kind of advice for them? Yeah, well, uh, the season is slowing down for everybody. So what you must think uh, is uh, it's not just me, but it's everybody. There are no races in, inside. So it's not staying out of the bull for a while that will uh, compromise your whole season if there is any season. And uh, backing off, uh, it can be good not only for the body, but for the mind sometimes. Because uh, people, especially triathletes or uh, athletes in endurance sports, uh, are used to overtrain all the time and they consume themselves. And uh, sometimes they just train because they think they need to train, but they are not even enjoying it in the end. They're just done. And... uh, Stopping uh, will enable all these people to have uh, a new freshness, uh, mental freshness, uh, to enjoy again, to start again when uh, everything is done. So it could actually be a good thing. I know that this sounds like uh, what everybody would say in this instance, uh, just to cheer people up, etc. But uh, I do believe that. And uh, on the contrary, right now I'm able to train normally here in New Zealand, uh, and uh, I hope this will last, but you never know. And what I try to do is uh, not overtrain because uh, I'm the only one who can train because uh, what I, I could think is, uh, okay, I'm the only one who's training now. So let's just uh, bike all the time, train all the time. Uh, and uh, I will be in, uh, in advantage when everything is done. But I could be actually in disadvantage because I'm overdone by the end. This is uh, finished. So, yeah. I think the the most important thing right now is not focusing on the training, but focusing on the situation itself, knowing you're not alone, leaning on the others, and feeling a little bit like a community in, the, in this instance. Sports should be on another level. We actually read one article online that said that you had no history in sport as a child and you didn't start swimming, cycling, or running competitively until your first triathlon in 2014. But yet it sounds like you actually have so much wisdom you've learned about sport, right, since that. But is that correct, that it, was, it wasn't until 2014? Yeah, it was, it is, it's true, because uh, I've always been very competitive, uh, but not in sports. Uh, very competitive, I mean, uh, but uh, I wasn't uh, really into studying and uh, always been very disciplined. Like when I was in high school, I won the Italian championship of uh, ancient Latin and Greek translation. That's how nerd I was. <laughs> but then uh, at university, uh, my my boyfriend at the time used to play rugby in the high league and uh, wanted me to do some sports because I wasn't doing any sport at all. So as competitive as I am, I decided, okay, do I have to do any sports? I will do a 70.3. And so I enrolled in a 70.3 and uh, I bought a bike uh, two weeks before the race, uh, started jogging at the park or uh, something like that. I arrived at the race and I knew nothing. Uh, I was really, everybody had a time trial bike. Uh, I had a road bike uh, and I had never seen a time trial bike. And, and I was worried I bought the wrong bike and they weren't allowing me to race because everybody had a different bike. So I did this race uh, awfully. But uh, I made it to the end, and that made me feel so good and so powerful that I wanted to start training a little bit more seriously. So 
So for the following year, I set myself the target of uh, qualifying for the World Championships uh, of uh, half distance. And uh, I qualified uh, and I was sixth in my age group. So by the end of the year, I wanted another target and I raised my first Ironman. And uh, that was 2015. And uh, I raised the Ironman Cozumel. And that was awful too. I, when I finished, uh, I promised myself I wasn't going to do a triathlon ever again in my life. But uh, I qualified for Kona in my age group. Uh, uh, I have to, to say that uh, qualifying uh, in the 18-24 age group uh, is not the most difficult thing in the world. But still, everybody told me, you can't just keep Kona. It's just uh, a blasphemy in the triathlon world. Uh, you can't turn down a slot. So I took that slot. I started training a little bit more seriously with the coach, etc. because before I was just doing uh, online programs or uh, I had the triathlon team in Milan and uh, my friend was biking, so I was biking. Uh, my friend was running, so I was running. Uh, that was more or less it. And uh, 2016, uh, I had a good year and I was second in my age group uh, in Kona. And so I decided the following year I wanted to absolutely win my age group. So the following year, I prepared very seriously, and uh, I slowed down a little bit with my studies at university too. But the, during the summer, I, I was training with uh, an Italian squad, uh, and uh, I was losing a little bit motivation because uh, I wasn't getting on well with the other guys. I thought everybody was lazy, and uh, the environment wasn't really stimulating, so I was a little bit sad. And uh, so in uh, September, right before Kona, I went to Lanzarote for the last training camp. And uh, I met my current coach, uh, Brett Sutton. And uh, I liked the, how everybody was very disciplined, uh, uh, starting early, uh, training early in the morning. Uh, all the pro triathletes uh, were really into it. And I started also getting on well with Brett. And by the end of the camp, uh, he told me that I was a really shitty athlete. But uh, if I ever wanted to become a pro, he could make me shit fast. So uh, I didn't really consider becoming a pro at the moment, at, at the time, but it was encouraging. So after a couple of weeks, uh, I was supposed to leave for Kona with uh, with my mom. She was um, she was coming to cheer me to cheer on me. And, but uh, the day I was leaving, uh, my grandpa died, so my mom uh, decided to stay home, and I left alone. And I, while I was uh, flying from uh, uh, Paris uh, to Los Angeles, one uh, of the engines of the airplane uh, exploded, and uh, I had an emergency landing in Canada. And we were stuck uh, in Canada for uh, 16 uh, hours uh, with no rescues, no food, nothing. Then uh, some uh, planes came to rescue us. They brought us to Atlanta, then from Atlanta to L.A., then from L.A. to Hawaii. They arrived there, and I was smashed, really devastated for everything, alone. Uh, and uh, I just decided that that race, I was going to finish that race because I was there, but... Uh, I had no chance uh, in the world, and I spent the whole year uh, trying to to do well just for that race, uh, and then uh, shit happens. But then uh, probably karma owed me one. So on the day of the race, uh, I I didn't even put my Garmin on because I had 
no hopes at all. But in the end, I won my age group. So I I thought it was a sign. And uh, yeah, it was something uh, was telling me that I had to give triathlon a chance or whatever. And so after that day, I decided to to try and uh, go pro and see what would have happened. Of course, I knew that I I couldn't become one of the best ones, at least for the first three, four years, because I don't have a background. I'm not strong enough. Uh, and uh, yeah, I don't know how talented I am yet. But still, I was 24, so I was young for the for the distance. I had plenty of time. I could give it a go. So I put my studies on hold for uh, two years. And uh, yeah, here I am at the moment. Wow. I don't even know properly how to recover or like how to react to that story. But my first question is is just like not even triathlon related. But what does it feel like when the engine fails in a plane? Is that really scary? Uh, yeah, a little bit actually, because uh, uh, I was in line to get to the toilet, uh, and we we heard like uh, a huge bump, and then uh, the plane uh, started uh, trembling a little bit, uh, and then I saw everybody moving towards the window, and uh, I couldn't see anything to, but everybody was at the window, and then there was an announcement, it's all good, but just go back to your place. So I went back to my place uh, and I saw some smoke coming out from the uh, from the window, and the people were starting praying or taking pills. It was it was like a movie. I was like, "Holy shit, this can't happen today!" So uh, I turned my mobile on. I know you can't, but I turned it on and I sent a message to my dad saying. Don't tell mom, because uh, now it's not the wrong time, because she just lost her dad. But uh, the bike, the the plane just had uh, an accident. uh, And, uh, well, I don't know what's going to happen, but uh, I'm safe at the moment. (laughs) So then uh, after 10 minutes, there was another announcement saying, everything is all good, but we're just going to land in Canada. Then another hour, another like 10 minutes later, we're going to speed up and uh, we can't reach an airport in Canada. So as soon as there is land, we are just going to (laughs) land. It was surreal, actually. I couldn't really panic because uh, panicking was useless and uh, I was in a zen state, like uh, emotionless. But uh, it was was so weird, yeah, because uh, I I was totally emotionless in that moment. Uh, I didn't know what to think or what to feel uh, because uh, there was nothing I could do. But then when uh, when we landed, uh, nobody died or uh, whatever. So we, we were lucky. But yeah, when I, when I landed, then I had uh, uh, all the Italian newspapers calling me to have news or uh, pictures, etc. So my Twitter followers uh, boosted up uh, all of a sudden because everybody wanted the news uh, directly from the plane. And I was... Uh, I. I mean, I was uh, trying to, to spend my time because uh, uh, they were saying, yeah, in one hour, there's going to be a plane. And then it was 16 hours. So I, I was trying to, to to be occupied and not to think of what was going to happen. So, yeah, it was quite an experience, I have to say. Was it hard to get but on? An- yeah, was it hard to get on another plane? I just I don't know if I would I would be like, OK, how do can I get a boat back to Italy? <laughs> Well, not really, because uh, I thought statistically there is such a low chance of having a plane accident that uh, I already have one in my life. I had one in my life that uh, if I had two, 
I'm really one of the unluckiest person in the world. So I, 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 I kicked it off uh, and uh, I should be fine for the rest of my life on a plane, I suppose. I hope. You never know, but at least, I mean, how many people just uh, had the plane accident? So, yeah. No, I think statistics are definitely on your side. But I still have one other also non-triathlon-related question from the beginning of your stories is, you competed in Greek and Latin translation. So is that like oh, a yeah. common competition in Italy for students? Uh, no, or how does that work? Like, is it like a, yeah, is it like a setup thing that people watch you translate these things? No, it's, uh, it's not like common, but uh, in Italy in high school, uh, you don't have like majors that you have in the US or UK, etc. But uh, you just uh, uh, decide to have uh, a bunch of subjects uh, and uh, you have that preset of subjects all together. So I was doing the classical studies, and in classical studies there are literature, so English literature, uh, uh, Italian literature, and also ancient Latin and Greek. And so, like you have uh, competitions of mathematics uh, or uh, whatever, we also have a translate competition for translating ancient Latin and Greek. And uh, I was pretty good at it, and I liked it a lot. And uh, I was actually thinking of becoming a translator in uh, in the future, but then uh, I realized I would probably starve for the rest of my life because it's not there's not a lot of people play, paying other people to translate ancient Latin and Greek. So, yeah, well, in the end, the medicine looked like a better option. <laughs> I feel like your calm perspective on everything in life, as well as your medicine um, background, is going to make you very, very successful in whatever you do. And I'm glad you're doing triathlon for now. Are are you kind of just waiting to see what happens for the rest of 2020? Do you have any races on your radar? Is this the question we should even be asking? You're the first person I've interviewed recently. So um, I'm like, this is usually our last question. And now I'm like, this is, seems like an obsolete question. Uh, yeah, well, um, my plan actually, I, I came on this part of the, on this side of the world because I have decided uh, that uh, in uh, October I will uh, finish my studies because if I don't become a doctor before turning 30, I will never become a doctor. And uh, I'm 26, uh, so I have one year and a half left. Uh, if I spread it out, four years should be enough, I hope. So I will just go back to studying uh, and this was my last uh, time to travel uh, so far for such a long time so so far this is my my main project uh, races uh, i was supposed to race uh, ironman port macquarie but i don't think that it's going to happen so i suppose i will just wait to see how the situation develops uh, and uh, decide depending on that as everybody else in this distance probably yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to share your stories with us. We know our listeners will really appreciate that. And all the best to you as you are, you know, New Zealand's probably an, an okay place to be kind of hunkered down in for now. And hopefully things continue to be smooth for you there and your training can go along. And I know there's a lot of people who want you to be doing some training, but not overtraining since they can't right now, maybe. So thanks again. And we'll make sure to catch up with you soon and see how the year does shake out. Thanks a lot, and uh, thanks for having me, and uh, good luck with everything. This is Haley, and I've spent most of my swimming career squinting at pace clocks or trying to catch a glimpse of my watch during intervals. If you're like me and love knowing your swim splits but hate finding a clock, there's a better way. 
Form Swim Goggles are the first premium goggles with a smart display that shows your metrics while you swim. You heard that right. Form Goggles have a see-through display in one of the eye cups so you can see your splits, pace, distance, or any other metric right in front of you. I've done a few workouts with the Form Swim Goggles and the coolest thing is once you press start, the goggles actually know when you're swimming and when you're resting. There's no need to press another button until you finish your workout. Want to learn more? Head to formswim.com. Alyssa, Federica's story about the engine failing on her plane was definitely unexpected. Have you ever been on an airplane with like severe issues? No, I mean, I've sat through some really bad turbulence and like thought there were severe issues, but nothing of that magnitude, I don't think. I mean, yeah, return to gates before we've taken off, like things like that, but nothing, nothing quite like that. I mean, that gives me, yeah, like nervous energy, just even thinking about sitting through that on the plane. I can't imagine. What about you? No, I mean, I'm the person like gripping my handles during turbulence and probably like freaking out everyone else in the airplane because I'm freaking out, even though I know, I know rationally that doesn't help. Like, like bracing myself is not going to help anything. But, and I also know the statistics with turbulence and like, you know, it's normal and everything like that. But I get, I was sweating listening to her tell that story. Like sitting here, I'm so glad I'm wearing like dark colors because otherwise you would have been like, Haley, is it really hot in Bozeman? Do you have the heat on? Are you sitting in front of a fire? But we, we are thankful for Federica for telling us, telling us that story among her other many, many stories. And I, I wish her the best in, in New Zealand and I wish her family the best in Italy. And I wish all of us the best. It's, it's a wild time, but, uh, again, if our, if, if, if you need more entertainment coming tomorrow, the, if we were writing podcast returns. Yes. So even if you don't need more entertainment, put it on anyway, and just try it out for your Friday morning, get reintroduced to Friday's with if we were riding Sarah Gross, Sarah True, uh, make sure your app is set to be subscribed. And so that just comes automatically and it can be a bright spot amidst some of the stressful times that we are having these days. So definitely get back and ready for if we were riding podcast coming out tomorrow. Fridays. Woohoo. There are some, there are some bright lights amidst all of this. And Alyssa, it's been wonderful chatting with you, even remotely. I love, we, we are always at a social distance. So I look forward to continuing to chat with you every week as we figure out what is happening. So thank you to everyone who's listening as well. This is, uh, you know, this is our community right now. It's a crazy time. So everyone stay safe, do your part. And Haley, I'll talk to you again next week. Bye Alyssa. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe, like, and comment on iTunes. My favorite podcast hosts are Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. My favorite editor is Aaron Hamilton. The Iron Women podcast is a live feisty media production.